Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Well, good morning, church. How are you? I hope you're doing well. Um, I'm not saying that it's God's favor that I'm preaching on this nice, cool summer day uh, when we have no AC, but maybe it might be (laughs) um, God's favor. So um, no, I'm just kidding, but we are in church. Worship was great. And now we are going to open up God's word. And so we're in a fun series called uh, The Gospel According to Mark. And uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter five today. So if you will stand as we read God's word, we're going to start in verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to those pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid." And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. You can have a seat. And so, you know, usually we try and come up with a super catchy intro to get your attention, but I feel like that verse kind of did it for me. (laughs) And so um, we are talking about the man with the legion this morning. And even more broadly than that, we're talking about the kingdom of darkness. We've spent the last few weeks talking about the kingdom of God, and we've looked at what it is, what it looks like. We looked at a day in the life of Jesus, and we also looked at the parable of um, the kingdom, and we learned that God is responsible for the return, right? We are to be good stewards of our faith, but God is responsible. And so we've seen that the kingdom of God is everything good. It's everything beautiful and right in our world, but God's kingdom has an opponent and that is the kingdom of darkness. And so before we go back into our story in Mark, I want to lay some groundwork for the kingdom of darkness in general. 
We see in Revelation 12 that Satan was originally an angel called Lucifer, and he rebelled against God and so was cast out of heaven, and he took a third of the angels with him. And then in Genesis, we see that he came as a serpent, and he was the one that tempted Adam and Eve to bring sin into this world. And then God makes a promise to crush the serpent's head in Genesis. And then he delivers on that promise in the New Testament when he sends Jesus to die on the cross to defeat sin and death. And that's the end of the story, right? No, unfortunately, sometimes I wish that was, but that is not the end of the story. And so in, even though Austin's mentioned it about a thousand times, I'm going to make it a thousand and one, we now live in an already not yet tension. And so just like God's kingdom is being ushered in, it's not here fully yet. And so the same but opposite is true for the kingdom of darkness. It's been defeated on the cross, but it still has some reign and rule here on earth until Jesus returns and Satan and his principalities and demons get cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. And so while the enemy is still able, he is trying to stop on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's what we pray. God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And instead, he wants to bring his will and his kingdom, also known as on earth as it is in hell. And so John 10.10 says it well for us. The thief comes only to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so we see these two kingdoms in a dramatically opposing way in that verse. And then we, the church, are in this tug of war, right? We're trying to bring God's kingdom. We're trying to push back Satan's kingdom. We're ushering in heaven and we are pushing back hell. And so while our future is secure in heaven, we can't just wait until that day comes. We have a job to do, and I think our ability to do those two things really makes up how we live life here on earth. And so if we want to actually be effective in doing those two things, we have to understand the battle. We have to have a grasp on what the battle is. It really impacts which one of these kingdoms is going to win in our day-to-day -day life and over the course of our life. Paul is speaking to the church when he says in Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of heaven in the heavenly places, of evil in the heavenly places. We see a lot of Christians with their head in the sand saying the battle is already won and we don't really need to do anything. And then there's a whole nother of category of Christians that says, I know there's a battle, but because they see it happening a certain way, they think it only happens a certain way, they're completely ignorant to how the enemy is coming against them. And so that's what the Bible calls being ignorant to the enemy's schemes. 
First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And then 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11 says, Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And then Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And so our goal this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit is to be that third category of Christians that are not ignorant to the enemy's schemes, but that we would understand them, that we would know how we let them in, and ultimately that we would have victory over them. Amen? And so if we want to be the most effective at bringing God's kingdom, we have to identify how the kingdom of darkness tries to keep us down and sick and frustrated and ultimately paralyzed. Some of you have heard this type of message since you were kids in Sunday school, and I hope this is a good refresher for you. And some of you this will be new information. And I hope to just shed light in both categories, though, that um, the attacks of the enemy look a lot more natural and normal than we typically think. And so we're going to pray and jump back into our verse and see what we can glean from this interaction between the man with the legion and Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come fill this room? Would you give me the words to speak? Would you give them the ears to hear? And would you just do what you want to do this morning, God? We're open to that plan. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse three. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And so the first thing that we see about the kingdom of darkness is that its main mission, I said it earlier, John 10, 10, is to kill, steal, and destroy everything good in your life. We don't know exactly how this man became possessed or how many demons he had, but it was probably thousands. A Roman legion had 6,000 men, and so we probably use that word because there were thousands. But we do know that he's been driven out of society. He cannot hold a job. He cannot have a family. He can't sleep. He's hurting himself. And he's absolutely being tormented. His life is being destroyed, even though he's still living. And so demons have a hold on him and they are working to bring Satan's will to his life. And then I find this next part so interesting. We're going to jump to verse 10. It says, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So they gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Isn't that such a bizarre turn of events, right? That is a weird part of the story. And so I have always wondered why Jesus granted the demons that request. 
They have been absolutely tormenting this man. He owes them nothing. Why didn't he just send them to the dry place mentioned in Matthew 12, 43? When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. And so he could have sent the demons there, but instead he sent them to the pigs. Why? I wonder if Jesus saw an opportunity for a visual representation of what the demons wanted to do to that man. Pigs don't have a will. They don't have a soul. They can't resist it. And so it happened in a matter of minutes in a very kind of graphic, disturbing manner. They all die in minutes. And so I wonder if the man then was able to say, that's what they were trying to do to me. And the crowd surely could see the same thing. This is what the kingdom of darkness wants to do to you and to me and to our kids and to our church. And I hope that that causes something to rise up in you. I hope that makes you a little bit mad. We cannot let this kingdom have its way. We may not see this type of demon possession that often in our day-to-day lives, right? Especially here in Loveland, Colorado, depending on how sheltered you are here. But it's not that far, I don't think either. We wouldn't have to go that far looking for it to find it. But I believe, and and actually, sorry, I'm gonna say, as Holy Spirit-filled Christians, we don't have to be worried about being demon-possessed right? That word possessed and inhabited, that's kind of the same word. And the Bible says that we're inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And so we don't have to worry about being demon possessed. But does that mean the enemy has no influence over us? Does that mean he has no power? Absolutely not. The verses earlier, and I could come up with 10 more probably, would say that yes, it is possible for us to be influenced by the kingdom of darkness. And so we have to stand on our guard. And so it's not an internal power, um, uh, like demon possession, but it's an external power in the form of oppression. And that's going to be our main focus for this morning. Usually we think of demon activity as these supernatural moments like the exorcist or Ouija boards or super nasty stuff that we shouldn't be participating with, right? But the enemy is good at what he does, and he makes it look a lot more natural and normal than I think we typically think that it is. How many of you, if you had a naked, jacked uh, guy coming out of a grave site, right, towards you, bleeding, yelling, I don't care how conservative Baptist you might be, you're praying in tongues to get that thing out, right? Or you're running away. The enemy is good at disguising himself. We would know that we should be on guard to that. And so I think he makes it look a lot more normal, like fear and like stress and doubt. The method is different, but Satan's goal is the same. He wants to destroy your life. I decided to make a list. Um, We'll put it up on the screen. And it's literally just the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. John 10.10, we see this opposite kingdom um, kind of battle there where the thief wants to kill, steal, and destroy, and Jesus comes to have life. And so I decided to take the complete opposite of the fruits of the Spirit, and this is what they are. 
hate, self, others, or God, depression and sadness, fear and stress, impatience, rudeness, accusation, which can look like criticism or strife in relationships, bitterness or rebellion, unbelief, doubt in God, violence, anger, driven by comfort, unable to say no to the flesh. Are those not the air that we breathe? But wouldn't it be amazing if we had none of that at the same time? These are absolutely the way that Satan comes against us. Now we're going to see how the enemy uh, makes his way in. So verse 9 and 10. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Did you catch that? It's subtle. My name is Legion. We see that in the pronouns that he has actually adopted his demons. He has seen himself as one. And that was way before pronouns became confusing, right? And so he says, my name is Legion. We are many. He begged him not to send them out of the country. And so somewhere along the way, maybe little lie by little lie, this man invited that demonic activity into his life. It's important to understand that demons don't have a superior will to the human will. They can't override a human's will to do something without the human's consent. And so if they can slowly get you to open the door just a little bit, and that's called agreement, then they can make their way in. And then they take a little bit more ground, and then they take a little bit more ground And so this word agreement, what is it? How does it take place? I think the primary battle is in our mind. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks, so he is. And so the enemy starts by giving you a thought. Austin mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that we can have human thoughts and we can have God thoughts, right? God speaks to us in the sound of our own thoughts, right? It sounds like our own voice thinking, And we realize like, oh my gosh, that was God speaking to me. And we learn to recognize that and we hear him. But I also believe that Satan speaks to us in that same way. It sounds really normal and natural and like it's your thought, but it's actually the kingdom of darkness. So he plants a thought of fear or rebellion or hate or doubt And if we do not take that thought captive, like it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, where we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. If we do not do that, then we've entertained the thought. And a thought entertained is agreement. James 1, 14 through 15 breaks this down really well for us. It says, but every man is tempted with a thought from the enemy, when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. But then, but when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And so Satan is responsible for that first step, which is tempting. But then agreement is that being drawn away 
process. It's where we meditate on it. And it's an important step to sin. If we're not drawn away, if we do not agree, we will not sin. But if we agree and that lust can conceive, it brings sin and sin fully grown brings death. And so these first steps happen in your mind. The brain is a powerful tool, right, that God has given us. And I am not a neuroscientist, but we're going to do some neuroscience today, okay? We're going to look at that. Uh, This is pretty well-known stuff, but I think it's actually super helpful. And so the brain and your thoughts are made up of pathways, neural pathways. Some are well-formed and some are fragile. Fragile neural pathways are created when you think something new. And then over time, as you continue to think or do those things, they become a little bit more carved out and there's this repetition and then they can become well-formed pathways. And it makes it stronger and easier to take that path. And so simultaneously, your brain is always trying to be super efficient. And so it takes the path of least resistance. It takes those well-formed pathways. Unless you tell it otherwise. And so that is why you can stumble down the stairs in the morning. You can make a pot of coffee, have the same breakfast that you do every single day, and you're not really even awake thinking about it, right? It's just you're on autopilot doing it. Another example is that my family is spending the summer at the ball fields. Okay, so literally all of the kids are playing some form of baseball. Austin's playing church league softball. And so we're there almost every single night. And the kids um, are trying to get better, and we're playing in the backyard, and Harper will say, like, Mom, will you throw me a, you know, high, what a, high pitch or pot fly? Thank you. Oh, clearly, these are new pathways being formed for me, okay? So they, I do not play baseball. I love watching baseball, but there's a difference between those two things. And so unlike myself, I don't know how to um, hit a pot flies for them to catch or throw a curveball so that they can practice hitting. Um, Mike Trout lives and breathes baseball, right? And he's known his whole life of baseball. And so he doesn't have to think about those things. He doesn't have to think about what base to run to first like Haven does. Those are well-formed pathways in his brain, and it's just the life that he lives. And so let's look at this now through a lens of what we're talking about this morning. Let's take stress. So the enemy gives you a thought of stress. Maybe you're, you have a big project at work, and if you don't do well on that project, you're not going to get the raise that you need to pay for $120 worth of gas every single week, right? And there's some truth in that, but it's, it's causing stress in you. And so the more that you think that stress, the easier it is to continue to have stress. And it becomes this nicely formed pathway in your brain. And over time, we've got this mind-body connection. And so those patterns, those thought patterns, create uh, realities in your body. And so it may cause you to have high cortisol, which just wreaks havoc on the body. And over a period of years, you may then start to have panic attacks or high blood pressure or um, migraines, gut health issues. So many things get tied to that. And Satan's hope is that over the course of your life, 
um, you've downward spiraled in that and you become a shadow of who God made you to be. What about depression? Henry Wright has, called, has a book called Exposing Spiritual Roots of Disease. And he would say that self-pity and bitterness are a couple of the ways the enemy uses to get you depressed. And so he gives you a thought or a memory or a hurt or a perceived hurt, and you meditate on that and you stew on that. And over time, your body begins to respond to that and it produces less serotonin. And suddenly your physical body is expressing what's happening spiritually. And again, the enemy's goal is to keep you from enjoying life, to keep you from getting out of bed, to do what God has asked you to do. And so I want to make a couple things really clear this morning. The Bible is very obvious. He says in his word that sometimes disease is used as a tool for God's glory. It's not always because of sin. And I also want to be clear that I am not anti-medicine or anti-doctor. Please don't hear that. But I do wonder if we're using medicine to mask physical symptoms of spiritual ailments. And really, that becomes a problem when it's keeping us from getting to the root of it and it's creating more problems. Sometimes I think that could be true. And so I, I pose that before you not to um, have you stop taking medicine or anything like that. But can we ask the Holy Spirit, God, is there something that's actually spiritually rooted that's causing this physical ailment? And we're just agreeing with it. And it's the kingdom of darkness coming against us, trying to keep us down. Okay, last point. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that they that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. God's best plan is for your victory. This is an amazing end to the story, right? Can you imagine seeing this transformation in this man? He had been completely set free. And this is what Jesus wants to do for you. He doesn't want you bound and in chains by the things that have enslaved you for so long. He wants you free so that you can go home and tell your friends that the Lord has been merciful to you and tell, him, tell them exactly what he's done for you. He wants to set you free so that you can come here on a Sunday and worship him and point to exactly what he's done in your life, how you've encountered the grace and mercy and love of God that has set you free. And I can tell you that because I've experienced it. I went to this healing conference early May in Thomaston, Georgia. Uh, that's a really small, humble little town in Georgia. I think it has like 6,000 people in it or something like that. Um, and we had heard some good things about it, me and some good friends, and we wanted to check it out. And so we went, and it's a way more in-depth look at these things. And so that's definitely where a lot of this is coming from. 
But the church was so great. It wasn't super dramatic in its prayer and deliverance and healing time. It took like five minutes and we were, we've prayed, we've cast it out and we're moving on. But I can tell you that I am not the same as I was. When we were talking about accusation and criticism, I just really felt like I was supposed to repent. It was really clear to me that I had participated and agreed with that spirit. And so we cast it out and I, I literally felt knots in my stomach, un, undone. Ones that I didn't even realize had been there. And I, a different time, I felt this weight off my chest. Oh, this, the resistance and breathing. I know it sounds weird, but I just was breathing lighter. Sorry. And so while like my labs would still say, I have hypothyroid, I know that I am healed. I know because, because I know how to deal with stress and accusation and all the things that were causing that's in my body. I know that over time, I will be better. And I'm still amazed by it. I really am. Every day I think about it and I thank God. And I want that for you. And God wants that for you. He wants us to be a church marked by freedom through Christ. Luke 4, 17 through 18 says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is why Jesus stepped out of heaven. This is why we even have the book of Mark to go through. This is his greatest desire for you, that you would no longer be bound by what's enslaved you for so long. Jesus's life was marked by victory. Victory over temptation by the devil, victory over sin and death on the cross. And now that victory can be ours because we are in him. Romans 8:37 says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus came to set us free. He's paved that way for our victory and oftentimes it's up to us to choose to walk down the path. And so here's just a couple of things we do if we want freedom. The first thing is that we have to be desperate. That verse in Luke we, he talks about the poor, the captives, the oppressed, the blind. All of those speak to this extra dependency on God to come through. It's a desperate state. I think of the man in the story where he, he saw Jesus from afar and he ran and fell at his feet. I don't think that was the demons doing that. I think he was desperate to be free. I felt like the Lord said this week, it was my job to be compelling and it was your job to be desperate. The second thing is that we need to repent. When we've believed the lies that the enemy has given us, when we've agreed with them and adopted them as our own sin, we have to confess that. We have to repent. But we know that when we do that, he is faithful to forgive us. 
2 Timothy 2.25 says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so we confess our sin. We say, I'm sorry, God, that I believed this, that I participated with this spirit of fear, this spirit of hate or anger, rebellion, whatever it may be. And I take authority in the name of Jesus. We'll see later in Mark that with the great commission that he says, in my name, you will cast out demons. And so we take authority in Jesus name and we cast it out and we send it to the dry place. The third thing we do is we actively resist that agreement again. And so we take thoughts captive. We replace those thoughts with things from scripture what God says about us. And so we renew our mind and we dwell on those truths. Sometimes freedom and healing happens all at once. And sometimes it takes carving new pathways in our brain and it takes a little more time retraining our body to be transformed so that we can be free. And so we continue in this repentance and resistance as long as it takes. I hope you see that the kingdom of darkness is real, but God wants us to be a church that's not ignorant of his schemes. He wants us to be a people marked by Christ's victory. Not that there won't be difficulties or trials, but he has given us the tools to not be marked by loss to the enemy, but by Christ's victory. And so we're gonna ask God to begin the work today. We believe that there is power in moments here at church together. And so we're going to have some extended ministry time. And really all that means is we just want the Holy Spirit to have a chance to do what he wants to do. We also know that God's playing the long game in this. And so we're not afraid to come back to it and have maybe some follow-up prayer time, whatever you might need. But don't miss an opportunity this morning to get healing and freedom and deliverance from what you need. And so I wanna ask, if you are desperate, if you desperately want freedom and healing from the ways that you've been your whole life or the propensities that you've had towards any of those things on the list, would you stand? I wanna pray for you. I want our church family to be able to pray for you. And I know that can be scary and it's, it's a step out in faith, but we love you and we believe that God wants to meet you here in this place. We'll have the slides up here of the different um, attacks of the enemy so that we can review those and, and let the Holy Spirit tell you what um, maybe you've participated with. And so if you would, would you stand if you are, are desperate for that? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and meet all of us where we're at? We're desperate for a touch from you. We confess our sin to you. Forgive us where we have opened doors to the enemy, where we have believed lies and taken that sin as our own. 
we repent. Hayes, if you'll put up that prayer. And so out loud, if you would, maybe under your breath, you could pray this prayer. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I recognize and take responsibility in my life and in my generations for this, for all of these spirits that we've participated with. I repent for and renounce participating with these spirits. And I ask for forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over all the spirits spoken today, and I cast you out to the dry place. You have no power here. Be gone. Spirit, fill us up. Help us to resist these things going forward. Renew our minds. Renew our thoughts. And let our bodies reflect the peace that comes with being at peace with you. God, thanks for the truth of your word. Thank you for who you've called us you've called us your own, that you want us to be free, that you have a good plan for us and for the work that you have begun this morning. Would you just continue that in our hearts and in our minds? We love you so much in Jesus' name.